I pray to you, our Master Christ, forgive me, O King of glory. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Open the eyes of my mind to understand your glory. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. For you are the Son of God my shelter from generation to generation. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Truly you came to the world and saved us from the evil one. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Have mercy upon us, O God. We ask you, O our King, remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Seven ranks of angels praise you with all the ranks. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. We chant to you with all the thrones. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Yours is the power and the goodness, the glory and the honor. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus Christ is our helper. Jesus Christ is our confirmation. Remember me, O my Lord. When you come into your kingdom, O my Lord Jesus Christ, keep your people. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Every nation praise you, for you have created them. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Let us praise you with all the ranks three times, saying, Agios, remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. The cherubim praise you, the seraphim glorify you. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Suddenly our Savior was among the apostles remember me O my lord when you come into your kingdom glory to you and your good father and the holy spirit remember me O my lord when you come into your kingdom O master save us from temptations and from all the afflictions Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Incline your ear to me, O Christ, grant me rest with all the saints. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Bless the waters and the fruits, the plants and the rains. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. We ask for the Lord's priests and deacons, save them, O Christ. Remember me, O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And also the Christians, forgive them, O our King. Remember me, 
O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom, O Master God, our helper, keep all your people, remember me. O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom, Holy, O Holy Trinity, count us with all your faithful, remember me. O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom, every soul of the Orthodox repose them, O lover of mankind, remember me. O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom, O our good Savior, have mercy on your servants and his fathers, remember me. O my Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Keep me, O my God, with your help. Grant me salvation through prayer and fasting. So within us a true vine without corruption through prayer and fasting. For you, O Lord, grants me repentance and forgiveness through prayer and fasting. Grants me, O Master, a mouth and a wisdom to entreat you through prayer and fasting. Have mercy on us according to your mercy through your goodness and prayer and fasting. Every creature praises your dominion and your lordship through prayer and fasting. Peace and love and asceticism, let us wake up through prayer and fasting. O God the merciful, grant us favor that I may find mercy through prayer and fasting. O Jesus, the Son of God, keep the church, keep the church gates open for us through faith and prayer and fasting. According to your goodness, restore the captives that we may persevere through prayer and fasting. Every nation praises your dominion and your lordship through prayer and fasting. May your hand save us from our iniquities and our afflictions through prayer and fasting. The sins that I have committed and their habits, let them be loosened through prayer and fasting. The canonia of the pure ones is highly exalted through prayer and fasting. A great apostolic love may be with us through prayer and fasting. O King of peace, grant us an inheritance in, in your kingdom through prayer and fasting. Guard, guard and deliver us from evils and the pains of death through prayer and fasting. Stretch your right hand, save us from destruction, that we may gain salvation through prayer and fasting. 
we praise and bless you with joy and we serve you through prayer and fasting our holy fathers loved celibacy and lived in the desert through prayer and fasting yours is the majesty and the glorification before all ages through prayer and fasting forgive us our sins and our iniquities through your holy name through prayer and fasting o savior of the world fill us with your heavenly gift through prayer and fasting count us with your sheep and as an acceptable sacrifice that we may glorify you saying alleluia come let us praise with the angels and glorify our lord jesus christ let us fast a pure fast and let us pray with a humble heart take off the old man and his evil customs and wicked deeds and put on the new man and pray now with great power when the people of nineveh completed the fast the lord forgave them they fasted for three days and prayed with voices david the prophet and the psalmist spoke in the book of the psalms i humbled my soul with fasting and prayers for christ the eternal observe fasting together with prayer support them with purity that is of the saints loving his work and his celibacy to be worthy of the coming life with great honors many are the virtues that god restored to them because of fasting the prophets love prayer as they stood before emmanuel elijah ascended to the heaven with favor through prayer and fasting elijah proclaimed teaching the people put on sackcloth and pray well the kingdom of heaven is not near to us except through fasting and forgiveness and the law to the prophets also by prayer and fasting and mercy and repentance our lord jesus christ fasted for us and taught us to repent forty days and forty nights in the wilderness in a great mystery 
comprehend the day and that hour of your arrival to the dark grave. Remember the judgment before the judge. Raise your eyes towards the master. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we've been talking uh, for the last several weeks uh, about uh, comparative religions. We looked at our faith, the Orthodox Christianity, Judaism. We looked at Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. And then we started speaking about the religion of Islam. And in Islam, we spoke about their understanding of God and salvation um, and how, how they understand it and some of the history uh, of the religion. Um, God willing, today we're going to speak about uh, morality, what is the moral system in Islam, uh, as well as the form of worship. Islam presents itself as a straight path of clear-cut duties and commands. Islam's moral code prohibits, drink prohibits drinking, gambling, adultery, fornication, and the taking of interest at an individual level. The prohibitions are designed to have a social application because those who indulge in any of these prohibited acts would not only be harming themselves, but would harm society also. So there is a very strict moral code. And as we mentioned um, uh, last time about the Sharia law, um, the Sharia law is the legal standard uh, in Islam and is also the moral standard. So the, the moral and the legal kind of blend together in a, in a pure Islamic uh, state, uh, the, the, the Islamic law is applied directly to the government. Kind of like you can think of it the way that in the Old Testament, um, prior to there being a king in Israel, the law of God was, I, was essentially the law of the nation of Israel. It was the same thing. The Ten Commandments, 
the the was was the legal system and everything was operated was was the legal system and was the law of god so so this is this is kind of similar and the idea that the 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 laws of god the religious laws are also the laws of the government similarly the moral virtues that islam enjoys on the enjoins on the believer are not just for individual moral piety but for the collective social good also so there is an aspect uh, of this moral law that has to do with the collective society not just the individual muslims depict muhammad in the quran as a loving person helping the poor and slow to take revenge nevertheless the belief that only muslims possess the truth and all else are infidels has led to much violence and evil on the behalf of allah through the ages Although it is said the Quran worked to elevate the horribly degraded position of women in Arab society, women continue to be regarded more as possible temptations to sin for men than as human beings with their own responsibilities before God. To a large extent, the rights of women in Islamic countries are uh, less than that of men. We mentioned also last time, um, in some countries, women are not allowed to travel freely or they have to cover their hair or in some cases their entire face um, as they are walking around. Um, and so the, the, even though the claim is, is that the Quran elevated the degraded position of women, but if we look at how things are, we can say that they are not actually treating women um, equal to men, even in just a general society. Their worship system. So remember, Muhammad is the prophet, okay? But Muhammad is not a deity. He is not divine. They do not worship him. Only God is worshipped. This is one of the reasons, actually, that they see that Christians are infidels, um, because we worship Jesus Christ, whom they consider to be only a man, so even though they acknowledge him as a prophet and they, they feel that he is a great prophet um, and a successor, uh, and Muhammad is a successor to him, but they would consider us to be infidels and that we are worshiping a human being as opposed to worshiping God. They do not worship their prophet. Because of strict rules against depictions of human forms in art, there is a strong impetus against idolatry or saint worshiping in Islam. And actually it is, it is not allowed to depict the prophet Muhammad in any kind of picture or painting um, or so on. They consider this to be blasphemy. Allah is extolled in hymns that depict his power and majesty. But even Allah cannot be ultimately leaned on for salvation because salvation is man's responsibility. So while in the Christian faith, our focus is on the mercy and compassion and love of God in terms of our salvation, because we acknowledge that no matter how much we try or hard we try to fulfill the commandments of God, that we will always fall short of the commandments. We will all always fall short of meeting the standard that God has set for us, which is why even in the Old Testament, everyone was looking toward the coming of the Messiah who would be a salvation, who would be a savior to them. Of course, they didn't comprehend what that meant exactly. But looking back, now we can say and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ came to offer us mercy and forgiveness of sins because he knew and because he knows that we cannot fulfill the law, cannot fulfill, right? So because if, if, if in the case, in the state that we were in, absolutely no one would be saved. All of those righteous people who, are, who lived in the Old Testament, none of them entered paradise, none of them. 
you know, all of the Joseph and David and Solomon and all of the prophets, none of them entered paradise because no amount of good works could, could, could allow someone to enter into paradise. So the problem with the, the moral system here is that the belief is, is that with the good works, the good works as described by Islam, that someone, if, if, they, if they do them, they could achieve uh, salvation. They could achieve to enter into the kingdom of heaven, in, into heaven, just by their own works alone. So in Islam, the focus is not on the mercy of God, but the focus is more on his powerful qualities, like his, his power, his glory, his might, uh, you know, like, like he, no one can overcome him, and so on. And this is what makes the Christian God so different than the gods that you would find in other religions. And one of the reasons that um, the, the story of salvation, when people look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that even at the time, the Romans, they found this to be offensive. Like, how can you claim, and the Jews, how can you claim that this man is God when he appears so weak? And he is, a, he, is, he is being overcome by human beings. He is being spat on. He is being, you know, uh, abused and ultimately killed by other human beings. How could you say and believe that this man is God? Okay. The thing that about this that is so great was not because, you know, God is just a very powerful God and we're trying to say God is powerful. It's showing the love of God as even like beyond what we normally as human beings would consider to be powerful. That he had the power to prevent all those things from happening, but he chose of his own will not to exercise that power for the sake of love. You know, in the, one of the, the beautiful hymns in the sixth hour of, uh, of Good Friday, which is called The Only Begotten, it says that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated uh, power by, by what appeared like weakness. It, it looked like it was weakness to, huma to humanity. You know, when we look at him, it looks like weakness. But the power he was exercising was the power of restraint. He was restraining himself from, from exercising the fullness of his power, which could have destroyed everything and everyone. And he chose to restrain himself because of love. Whereas here, this depiction of God is a God who retaliates, a God who revenges, a God who gives everyone what they deserve without giving them the opportunity to change, without giving them the opportunity for repentance. And this is a very big difference. So even though they believe in a God and we believe in a God, but the characteristics of the God is very different. So here they are not leaning on their God for salvation, because salvation is man's responsibility. Thus, his guidance in the form of words rather than his person is emphasized. The greatest thing that God would have done for the people in Christianity is to offer himself, is the incarnation and the crucifixion. The greatest thing in Islam that God has done for his people is by providing instruction, is by giving them the Quran, which is their their holy book that provides an instruction of how to live, okay? So that's why for them, this book is so holy because it is a representation of God's power and represent representation of everything that God has done for humanity. For that reason, the Quran is revered as perhaps no other book. It is probably the most memorized book in the world. Acts of worship in Islam 
are embodied in the five pillars. Okay, what are these five pillars? A Muslim must recite the basic creed. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. This is the beginning of being a Muslim. Like I said, um, if, if, if you are heard saying this, then you will be considered Muslim just by, just by saying these words. Okay, that's the first. The second is recite prayers in praise of Allah five times daily while facing Mecca. Maybe many of us are familiar with the practice of many of Muslims who in the middle of the day, they will spread out a carpet on the ground and they will face the direction of Mecca, which is the holy city in Saudi Arabia. And they will, they will, they will bow to the ground and do prostrations and pray uh, five times a day. And actually in, in Islamic countries and, and Middle Eastern countries, that has mosques everywhere. I remember when I would be, like as a kid, I would spend my summers there and I would be awakened every morning, like very early in the morning to the sound of the speakers of all of the mosques in the area that are essentially uh, like playing the, the, the prayer out loud for, for everyone to hear. And because there is so, so many mosques, you would hear multiple versions of it at the same time. Um, so the idea of the, this prayer is a very integral part of the, um, the, 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 the worship life of a typical Muslim person, and they take it very seriously. And one of the things actually we can admire is how serious they take the prayer. That even if it is in the middle of a busy airport, if maybe any of you have seen while traveling, that you, you just be in some airport and suddenly there'll be just a person randomly on the ground with his, uh, his rug just praying in the middle of the terminal, right? Because it's time for prayer, right? Even in airplanes, this is what I've been told. I didn't see it myself, but I've been told on like some of the Middle Eastern airlines, if when it's the time for prayer in the airplane, they have an arrow that points in the direction of Mecca. So people, if they want to pray, they can look in the direction of Mecca to, to pray. So they take this very seriously. And I wonder sometimes like, you know, we pray with the Agbeya. We're supposed to pray with the Agbeya seven times a day. I wonder if any of us in the middle of an airport, when it's the time for prayer, we would just stop in the middle of everything and just start praying to God in the midst of a crowd. You know, maybe actually some of us would feel embarrassed to do so. We're like, well, what are people going to say about me if I start doing this? But they are not embarrassed, right? They, they're very, very um, serious um, when it comes to this. The, the third pillar is the giving money to the poor. And I, I think this is called uh, zakah, is it? Zakat, yeah. So th this is again an important aspect of the, the, the worship. And again, this is, these five things are the things that if a Muslim person does them, then they believe that they will inherit heaven, okay? So, so giving money to the poor. Also, there is one month in the year called the Ramadan. And in this month, they are supposed to fast the entire day and only break the fast until um, until uh, at sunset, uh, when the sun goes down, okay? And actually, I'll tell you a funny story that happened to me, is one time there was, I was invited to this gathering, and uh, I was sitting at the table with the Egyptian consul um, uh, in Houston, when he is Muslim, and I, I was sitting at the table with many other priests, and just this consul was there. And so when they served the food, it was, uh, they, they, I was very hungry. <laughs> when they served the food, I started to eat. But then after I was halfway through, I looked up and I realized no one else on my table was eating. And then I realized that's because it wasn't sunset yet. And it was in the month of Ramadan. 
And all these other priests realized this but me. And so they were waiting for, it, for, the, for the consul to start eating, and then they would eat. But I was already halfway done, so I just went to another table. <laughs> but anyway, they, they take it seriously, right? And, and, and these uh, Middle Eastern Islamic countries, they will all, they, like, it's a, it's a shared activity, like something that they all do together. Kind of like in the church, we all fast together. There you have an entire country that is doing this together. And even they have, like, special TV shows that come during, you know, that period of time um, because people are, you know, I guess a lot of times they, they're not necessarily going to work during that time. I'm not sure. Um, but they're, they're very much focused on this, this fast, once, one month a year. And then finally, the fifth pillar is to make a pilgrimage um, at least once during his lifetime to Mecca, the city where Allah revealed the Quran to Muhammad through the angel Gabriel. Um, so the, 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 the city of Mecca is like the center of the religious worship. Um, and, and in order to make a pilgrimage, like to, to go and travel there once in your life, to go and worship there in Mecca is considered to be uh, an essential and necessary aspect and part of the religious life of an Islamic person. The purpose of worship in Islam is to be conscious of God. Thus, worship, whether it is prayer, fasting, or charity, is a means to achieve God consciousness so that when one becomes aware of God in thought and in action, he is in a better position to receive his bounties both in this world and the hereafter. We also as Christians um, are trying to be God conscious, meaning we believe that God is everywhere. God is everywhere all the time. But just because he is everywhere doesn't mean that we are aware of him. doesn't mean that we are thinking of him. You know, even the Psalms say that God is even in Hades. But that doesn't mean that the people who are in Hades are aware or conscious of the presence or existence of God. Because God, when we say God is omnipresent, that means he is everywhere. He is in every place. But that doesn't mean that simply because he is in a place, that that place is like, um, is experiencing his blessing, experiencing his grace, the grace of his presence. So a big part of what we try to do, and when we say that we are trying to pray multiple times a day, or when we say the Jesus prayer, or when we make the sign of the cross, or, or like these things that we try to do throughout the week, beyond the just, okay, I'm coming to church once a week, beyond that, every spiritual activity that we do for the rest of the week, we are trying to become aware of the presence of God and connecting with Him. And the more we are aware of the presence of God, the more delightful life becomes. Because in connecting with God, we receive a kind of grace and peace and, and, and um, assurance and security and hope about the future. And so many of our anxieties and worries and, and, and frustrations and those things are like attenuated or, or lessened by our awareness of God's presence and the receiving of his grace. So prayer doesn't make God present. And God is no more present in a monastery than he is in our living rooms because he is equally present. But what is different is my awareness of him. Maybe when I go to a monastery, I am aware. Like this is a holy place. This is a place where people pray. This is a, a place where people are dedicated to God. But I can turn myself and my own uh, home into such a place 
into a place where we are always aware of the presence and the existence of God all the time. And as I go throughout my day, I am aware of him, of his presence, of being with him, right? This is something very important for us that, that we, we, we remind ourselves of God's presence constantly. There are many beliefs in Islam that leave one scratching one's head, most of which relate to our Lord Jesus Christ. Muslims believe that Jesus was born of a virgin and was a prophet of God, albeit of lower rank than Muhammad. They acknowledge that Jesus performed many miracles, including raising people from the dead, believing that Muhammad did none of these things. While they do not deny that he was put on a cross, they do not believe that he actually died. Rather, he ascended alive into heaven. One of the things that, you know, and even in modern times, apart from Islam, there are many people that look at the person of Jesus Christ and they say about him, he was a good moral teacher. Like he was a good teacher, he was a good religious leader, um, but he wasn't God, but he was a good teacher nonetheless. And we read maybe in the Bible his quotations and the things that he says because these are good lessons to live by. These are good ways to live and we see him as a good teacher and a good philosopher and so on. But that's only taking part of what he said. If you take the totality of what's what he said if you believe him to only be a human being and not to be god then the totality of what he said is actually insanity because he is claiming to be god right he is claiming to be god he is accepting to be worshiped he's accepting for people to pray to him he is convinced that god is his father in a very personal and unique way he he is claiming things that if you believe he is actually a human being then we shouldn't even accept anything that he says because he was obviously delusional, right? If any human being were to say the things that the Lord Jesus Christ said, we wouldn't look at that person and say, oh yeah, that's a good moral teacher. No, we would say this person is crazy. You're claiming to be God. So, so why, why are you claiming to be God? But then at the same time, like, like we wouldn't accept you even if there are some things that you said that were good. This is the problem with saying about Christ that, that he is just a good moral teacher, um, but he is not God himself. You have to take the fullness of what he himself said, not just limited to some of the good moral teachings and parables and so on that he said. So they're acknowledging that Jesus performed miracles, and they're acknowledging that he raised people from the dead, and they believe that Muhammad did not do either of those. They also believe that Jesus will return to judge the world, which is another amazing thing. So they believe Jesus actually is the one who's going to judge the world. How then is, is, is he of a lesser rank than Muhammad the prophet? If you believe that both are prophets, which one would judge? It would be the highest rank is the one who would judge, not the one of the lesser rank. All the while refusing Christ's divinity because Allah is one and this unity precludes a Trinitarian understanding. So again, the... The religion of Islam tends to focus on physical things, and it's harder to accept spiritual things. Um, the, there was a Nestorian, as we mentioned last time, there was a Nestorian influence in the establishment of the religion of Islam. That an Nestorian monk is one of the ones who had a large influence on Muhammad the Prophet at the time when the Quran was written. And so what is Nestorianism? Nestorianism essentially denies that Jesus Christ is divine. 
They say that the Spirit of God came on him at some times, and in these times he is God, but then in other times the Spirit of God left him, and then he is no longer God. For instance, when Jesus was doing miracles, Nestorians believe that this is the work of God in him. But when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, no, this was just a man, because God cannot die, and God cannot be crucified. So in any time we see God operating in the divine realm, they say, yes, the Spirit of God is in him. But when we say that Jesus is, is like experiencing pain or suffering or crucifixion or these things, no, then he is not God. This is just the human being, Jesus. Okay, This is the Nestorian heresy, which was condemned in the Third Ecumenical Council. So this is essentially, in some, in some way, similar to what the Islamic belief is, in the sense that they believe that he is just a man, but he is doing these divine appearing things without being divine. Because of the stringent belief that Allah is one, it is inconceivable for a Muslim to consider that God would desire to commune, become united with, and be known by man. It is, it is, it is considered inconceivable that God would lower himself to the level of a human being and want to become as one of the creation, which goes back again to what is it that we believe about God is that he sacrificed of himself to become human. He accepted to debase himself and lower himself to the level of the flesh and experience suffering and experience pain and hunger and being cold and getting sick and all the things that would come upon a human being. He allowed this of his own love because he had a purpose for it. His purpose was salvation. He didn't do it just to do it. He did it because his love demanded that he do all that was in his ability to do in order to save mankind again. And so this is why he chose to do this. Okay. So, so whereas in the Islamic faith, they would not consider it to be um, dignified of God to lower himself to become a human being. Grace has no role in Islamic salvation. As we said, the salvation is by your human works, by following the five pillars of Islam, not through the work of grace of God. It is purely the work of man, in addition to adhering to the five pillars uh, of faith. To enter heaven, a person's good works must outweigh his bad. And this is also important for us to understand. In Christianity, this is not what we believe. Even though we are saying, yes, we should practice good works, okay, why are we practicing good works? We are practicing good works as a result of the faith that we have in God. We are not practicing good works to somehow balance the bad works right? that we have done. It's not like, okay, I, I, I did a certain amount of bad things, so now to compensate for those bad things, I have to do an equivalent number of good things and they cancel out. This is not what we believe because we don't believe that salvation is by works. right? Simply repenting of these bad works grants us forgiveness of those things. So our good works are kind of are independent of this. Our good works are a response to the love of God. When we experience the love of God, when we see the love of God, we grow in faith and love toward him, and out of a love, we want to do good works. Out of a love, we want to do for him all that can be done because we are choosing to submit. We are choosing to sacrifice of ourselves. This, after all, is the love that Christ himself demonstrated. How is it that we know that God loves us? He, he loves us and, and demonstrated it through the sacrifice he made for us so that we can see clearly what is it that he did. It's easy for us to say that we believe in a deity that is infinite, 
that has infinite resources and he can just give of him give 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 infinite resources give infinite blessing he doesn't lose anything someone who, you know if you had an infinite amount of money okay and you gave you started giving people money would we say that that person is generous they're not necessarily generous because they have an infinite amount of it to give right they're not they're, they're it's not difficult to give because it's infinite right a god who has infinite power right he can just demonstrate his power a god with infinite resources he can give infinite resources but god demonstrated his love in that he gave of something that harmed him like he was harmed in the giving he sacrificed something himself and the fact that he being deity and divine did something that actually harmed himself this is a sign of the love of god and no other religion can say that their god has done something equivalent to this okay so we respond to god in in doing good works out of love not to cancel the bad works right the bad works are forgiven through repentance right the good works are a manifestation like they're they're a they're not a reaction to something that we have done, but they're proactive. They are, we are offering ourselves to God and sacrificing ourselves to God just as God also did for us. He was a model of love and sacrifice that we um, are following. Here are some of the references um, from this talk. Does anyone have any final questions um, or comments before we conclude? Yes. I think they, they were pagan. And I think that's one of the reasons why there was such a strong emphasis on the monotheism, the saying God is one, because it was a reaction to the paganism that was happening at the time. Yeah. Okay, God willing, next time we will um, start speaking about Hinduism. Okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we thank you for every opportunity you give us to come to you to repent of our sins, to learn more about you, and to be transformed by your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your love. We thank you for your sacrifice for us, and we thank you because you have revealed the truth. We ask, O God, that you help us and you give us zeal and energy and motivation and knowledge to share this truth, O Lord, with the world and all those, O Lord, who are seeking it. We thank you for your kindness and goodness. We ask, O oh God, that you help us to complete this fast with asceticism and diligence and to come, O oh Lord, to the Feast of the Resurrection joyfully and remembering, O oh God, the sacrifice you did for our salvation. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.